customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. For our panel today, uh, we have me, uh, Eno Saris, Emma Swan. Uh, what is your title again? Enterprise editor. Is that like um, on the ship? <laughs> Features and investigation. Wait, haven't you, Alex? And uh, you are a national writer for us. And and Rustin Todd. And also national writers. So we got three national writers and a national editor here for you. Thank you. Well done. All right, we have any more questions? Hi. Um, of the teams that made the playoffs last year, who would you say is least likely to make it back this year? <laughs> Jason Collette says Phillies. <laughs> I, 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 this is a, a really bad thing to say right now, but uh, I have worries for some of the older teams uh, like the Yankees and Mets. I just know, like, like the pitch clock and the stealing of the bases, and the, it seems like it's going to be a young man's game, and sometimes I worry that those teams are older, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I take it back. They're going to win it all. <laughs> Subway Series! I, I, covered, uh, I covered Dave Dombrowski in Boston, and the guy has no idea how to build depth at all. Uh, maybe the people below him do, for potentially the front office that he's brought in um, but I you know if something goes wrong health wise there if painters not back quickly it, go down the list I mean. Rustin you have a pick yeah what are the chances of that yeah I would say of the teams that haven't been mentioned I would say the Guardians perhaps because they have to win the division they're not going to probably be any wild card teams from the AL Central um, so I they have a chance, I mean, like a high chance of winning the division, but if they don't win the division, they're not going to make the playoffs. I'll second that. Guardians, I think. They're also like a really weird team because they're like a singles hitting team, and every other team has been like, we don't care about singles. 
you know, so it's a, it's a strange, strange idea. I'm rooting for them in a way, but it, it, it's like it, no other team looks like the Guardians. I'm Steve. How you guys doing? Hi, Steve. Uh, hi. Uh, my question is regarding younger players. Uh, on opening day now, we've seen Anthony Volpe, very young player. Uh, we know teams are incented to bring up these players younger. In the next five, ten years, uh, what age should we expect to see on, you know, for the youngest player on an opening day roster? Should it be in the teens? Could we get to 19? Or, uh, or is it going to be kind of in this 20, 21, 23 range? What do you guys think? I, I was actually talking to myself yesterday uh, about the amount, of t the amount of good time that young players spend in the minor leagues. I'm not sure it makes total sense. Um, you know, Major League Baseball, really for like economics reasons, wants to downsize minor leagues and eliminate teams and maybe even levels. We don't like that, we don't like that. But, you know, do you really have to uh, perform as long as you do in the minor leagues to be effective in the majors? I, I don't see why it would be changing now, right? I mean, teams are clearly hesitant to bring up teenagers. You very rarely see 19-year-olds. I don't get any sense that's, that's moving in any different direction in the past. Um, but, but you just reported a, a bunch of changes in the minor league CBA. Uh, do, you, do you think that, do you, actually, I was, I was thinking about this. Do you think it, it puts pressure? Is the game going to change? It, like, so there's a lot of teams that are like, oh, we're a player development team. And we love cheap young talent. Does the fact that they're now more expensive in the minor leagues, what's that gonna do? Liquid swords. <laughs> I don't want that sound to come back. What do you think that'll, what do, you think that'll do? Well, it, if you sign now at 19 or older, you get to free agency a year quicker, which is a pretty big win for the players. And that, you know, I guess you could theoretically see some teams feel like, well, we want to move somebody quicker now. Again, the teams, they, the league wants downsides. They want to get rid of guys. They don't want to pay these guys because they feel like they can identify the talent much easier. You don't need the 180 guys that you had previously. Um, so, yeah, I guess if you got it, to, if, if, if the pool started to narrow a bit, you know okay, the players we have are clearly the talented players. Maybe they can rise quicker. <laughs> my instinct is that it'll look similar to the way it's looked. I, 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 that's just my gut. You know, you know, you know. I have a question for you. Is it so? It seems like players are more productive at a younger age now. It seems that way, right? Like guys come up at twenty-one. They're awesome right away. Is that true though? Like, and, and it, it actually doesn't. Aren't there fewer like guys debuting in the teenage years than there were maybe ten or 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. The average age. I think this is sort of what Evan's talking about. The average debut age has not changed. It's like always twenty four to twenty five. It's like always in there. And the youngest debut age hasn't changed. That's always like nineteen to twenty. But aging curves have changed. So you used to get better before you got worse. And now the most recent aging curves suggest you enter as good as you're ever gonna be and then get worse. So I think that's a little bit of like player development is better. We're, we're producing better, we're producing players who are better ready for the major leagues. Um, but yet somehow the age hasn't changed. Well, and, and one other quick point on this, like, 
the Astros, I know, they had a, and I, I bet every team now has this, they had a color-coded system that told them statistically when they believed a player was ready to go to the next level. I think they called it the, the power to promote tool. So like really bright green was, you know, promote and a darker shade of green was like, you could, but maybe you're not quite there yet. They're all basing that on historical statistical research. And so if, if that research tells you, you, you should be taking them slow, I don't know. These are not teams that are typically of the mindset of, we're gonna ignore the research. Right? And I think that might be what it would take, is to say, screw it, this guy's really good, he can play now. But no, historically the numbers say you shouldn't do that. And I, I talked to a farm director who was having this argument, and he said, if my pitchers have major league grades on their pitches right now, why are they in the minor leagues? You know, I'm only just using up bullets that they could use to make my major league team better. So I think this is a, a topic of debate, and I actually think these this new CBA in the minor leagues is going to change things. If they're more expensive in the minor leagues, that math of like, oh, they'll be much more expensive in the major leagues, you know, like it, it starts to get closer and closer and you start to think, well, I'm paying them $50,000 anyway, so why don't I pay them $50,000 for a month in the big leagues to see if he's actually any good? Fair. I mean, the, the gap between the salaries is still, still, still very still large. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name's Nick Pollock. You may know me from PitcherList.com. Um, if you throw out all of the advanced statistics and maybe all of the normal statistics, and you just go on vibes, what pitchers are you most excited to watch this year? I took your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> vibes and vibes alone. What do you guys I, like for vibes? I know this is a kind of an obvious answer, but Shohei Otani is still, even setting aside that he's also a great hitter, like. I'm still just really excited to watch him whenever he's playing. So, I have a little confession, which is that my job is mostly off the field. And I was writing a book the last three years. So I was dealing more with lawyers and, and the collective bargaining agreement. Like, I knew a lot more about the CBA than I did really what was going on on rosters for a long time. Uh, and then I had a family member recently say, hey, do you want to play fantasy baseball? And I have not played fantasy baseball in bleeping years. Uh, but I've had to force myself now to like relearn rosters. With your number one pick, and so I just I just selected a bunch of keepers in an NL only keeper league, um, and so I actually have some names that I am very hyped about. Uh, I, on his team, he's hyped about the ones on his team. Yeah, uh, he's wanna, just like you. Yeah, that's it. That's where I'm at. I want to see Yuri Perez. I want to see Ron Contreras. Uh, who else did I take? I don't know. I'll think of some other names. Ryan Pepiot, or however you say his last name, who just got hurt today, so that's not great. But I will go on Brandon. I would. I'll say Zach Grinky. Um, <laughs> oh, it's always fun. I mean, he went to driveline. <laughs> yes, he did. I think he got more whiffs today uh, in his starts than than like in his first four did last. Did he do year. well today? Yeah, he did. Nice. Uh, on vibes, just vibes along. You know what? Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm sometimes interested in the dark side of the force, and um, I'm interested in Corbin Burns and how much the hatred for his team and that came out of his arbitration hearing will fuel him to new heights. 
and if he will pitch his way off of the Brewers this year by just having like a 1-2 ERA and the Brewers suck and he's like, yes, please trade me, trade me. Can I ask you a fantasy question? Yeah. Um, so I, I was an expansion team, so I got to pick my keepers. Merrill Kelly was there for a dollar. Yeah. And I had all my friends say, no, the guy sucks, don't, don't take him. And I'm like, look, I get it. He's not overpowering. I can see the numbers. But for a dollar, I'm going to do that. Am I an idiot? He, he uh... Yes, but he's in L only. They're all Tobys. Yes. Um, the, uh... The, the, the interesting thing is he has a top 10 changeup by my stuff plus stat, so he has an out pitch, and um, he's a credible major league starting pitcher, and that usually means keep him. He's not sexy, but he... Yeah, he's not, he's not sexy. He, he, he kind of looks like Chris Elliott. We, you know, he might Elliott. hear this, but yeah, we're kind of weird looking. <laughs> kind of weird Cabin boy? Oh, Chris Elliott was a male model. Evan, any more questions about your fantasy team? No, thank, thank you for entertaining my fantasy questions. Anyone else have questions about... Hi, all. Um, what do you think about the future for women in baseball? Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think a lot of times people talk about that as, like, could a woman pitch in the major leagues? But I feel like that's sort of a red herring. And we'll never know the answer to that until there's a much bigger pipeline. So women pitching uh, in college and in high school at, at a high level. Um, so I think it starts at a much younger age. Right now, girls usually when they get to middle school are kind of forced into softball if they want to keep playing. That's starting to change. There's groups like Women um, Baseball for All and other groups that have like, made a lot of progress on that front. But I think it's going to be like a decade or two until we see the results of that. Um, but I do think eventually you could have something more like the baseball equivalent of the WNBA, where there starts to be enough players playing at older ages for there to be a professional league for women. Um, so I think that is definitely possible, but I think it's a long-term thing because you have to start at, you know, my, my daughter is six and playing Little League, so, and also probably not that good, but don't tell her I said that. Um, <laughs> but when they get to, you know, when, when kids get to be, you know, when, it's, when you see the 12-year-olds today who are getting the chance to play, you see how they can do in high school. You see how they can do in college. Then there's going to be a big enough pipeline to see, you know, to see enough women playing at a high level professionally. Um, whether or not it's in baseball, I think is kind of in major league baseball is kind of beside the point, right? It's just, you know, can women play baseball? Absolutely. Um, major league baseball, we don't know yet. I, I think there's also something interesting. I was talking about WBC, and like you have to see it to do it. Like you have to see it to think it's a possibility. And um, so I wonder if we need to have some like local women's leagues and some like the WNBA I think is a real is real progress. Like I, the, the the women's Final Four tickets sold better than the men's Final Four tickets. So basketball has has been doing this. Baseball hasn't embraced it. There's a rule in baseball, I think, that women aren't allowed. Not really. Okay. They're not going to enforce it, but it's like still on the books. Um, but but I, I wonder if women coaches 
give you that same feeling. I don't know. I, it's, a, it's a sort of a wonder. But there are more women coaches now. And we're yeah. starting to see women on-field coaches, women in uniform on the baseball field. It's not the sexy, it's not the same thing, right? It's not like I saw this woman hit a home run. It's not the same thing. It's like they were coaching first base, you know, it's not. There has been a huge change just in the last few years in the number of coaches and Kim Ng, women in the front offices. So I think there's been, you know, a lot of progress just in like the last five years there. And I, there's no reason that can't continue. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, uh... This obviously has not happened yet, but there has been discussions. There's owners in, in baseball who have tried to start a uh, women's Arizona Fall League, essentially like a like a four-team league where they would play each other for a month, um, and that's been something that's been kicked around for the last few years. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that actually, if you see that happening in the next like two to three years, where you have like four women's teams down in Arizona in the fall, just kind of playing during the Arizona Fall League, and that could be like a way to start it. But I would say that I've covered Major League Baseball since 2009, and women in baseball has been one of the biggest changes that I've like probably noticed in the last 15 years. And it really feels like there was even a bigger shift like 2017, 2018, even in the last five years, feels like there's been more progress than there was, you know, the 10 years before that. So, now, I mean, it's been maybe one of the biggest shifts in the game in the last five years. Yeah, I wasn't sure we'd ever see a female GM like 10 years ago, and I think we've had that now, and she's doing fine, right? Like, the Marlins are fine. Like, they're not, they're not great, but they're certainly not any worse than they were, right? They're yeah, getting men also in charge of teams that are fine and not great. Right, right. <laughs> like, and there was so much pressure on her for, like, to not screw up, and, like, it's been, it's been really nice to see that, like, it's been fine, you know? I think about it, when you asked the question, my mind went to front office just because that's where I do a lot of my thinking and work. Um, baseball still has a massive problem in hiring anybody who is not a white man in any sort of leadership From position. the Ivy Leagues. Right. And, and you know, I, there are people uh, who are not at that highest level in front offices who tell me, just go at it up. And I haven't done this, so if anybody wants to do the homework for me, let me know. I'd appreciate it. Just, you know, make a list of every team's farm director, scouting director, GM, and AGMs. The percentage that is going to be white men is, is going to be very disappointing. And it, right. And you have a few that aren't. Um, it's like, yeah, two or three, and then there's like 400. Yeah. And, and so I... <laughs> I'm still waiting. This, I think Rustin is right that there, there, are, there have been inroads made. Um, I think there's still a very heavy, serious lift that front offices, owners, and general hiring managers have not done enough with. I think some people are trying, um, whether they're trying the right way or, or as effectively as they should. Look at the results. I also think one of the clues that we're not doing that well is um, some of the scandals that have recently come out of baseball. Um, the Mets front office stuff, you know. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of misogyny there's ingrained in the game. Also, you know, I, I edit some of those stories in the Mets front office. There's a lot more stories out there that we haven't been able to publish because people aren't on the record, but like that's just the tip of the iceberg. But that's not just baseball, that's like, Everything. So. Yeah, I mean, you could probably do something with Forbes 500 or something similar. NFL's even worse.
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Zach. Um, I'm, I'm also like big big baseball fan, but also big like European soccer fan. Like the whole idea of this like relegation kind of format and not tanking, making sure that every game actually matters and not like a, oh, this is a off-cycle game, let's just lose it, like it's fine, let's, like, let's rest our players. Like, is that something that, I mean, in a 160-some-odd game season, like, it's tough to kind of do, but would we see a team that gets like 30 wins get still the, the, the first overall draft pick? Like, do we see something like that could potentially come to, maybe not even baseball, but like any of the like real American kind of major sports my instinctual answer from my um, my fun fun times from my fun my fun times with the collective bargaining agreement all this you know, tanking was a major issue but, but so I'll take that part second the question of relegation if you were an owner right you're a billionaire you've bought the rights to this team you spent a massive amount of money or you inherited it because you know lucky you um, you're not gonna want that right and, and ultimately the commissioner of any of these sports is serving the owners first and foremost. So I, I just think it's unrealistic that you would today in an established sports league have owners be like, yeah, I'm okay with you making me a minor league team, right? It's just, I, I, I don't think that would happen. You know, the CBA this go around did have some elements that were designed and intended to uh, address tanking. The, the players wanted more, the league wouldn't give more, and that'll keep being a, a, a tug and some tug and pull. I haven't had a single beer, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, hey now. Hey now. <laughs> um, but you know, look, if, if you are an owner, again, this kind of sadly in, in a lot of the stuff I do, like 95% of stories, it all comes back to it's about money. What is tanking? Tanking is a means of acquiring it's a means of not spending money for a long period of time while you're acquiring cheap, sustainable talent. What is sustainability? It's just cheap players. The farm system is cheap players. Um, owners aren't going to want to give that up. They don't want to give up the, this notion of like, yeah, I, I want to take a year off here and not spend anything and get everything from central revenue. I like that as an owner. And I like not being in the minor leagues. And they have the power. Evan's fun at parties, but yeah, he's uh, he's, he's right. They're like, it's, I like that idea personally. I think it'd be fun and interesting, but it's just hard for me to see enough owners agreeing to it for it to actually happen. But it, it would be cool. I think the only way to chip at it is the way they kind of try to do it in the CBA is um, devalue or, or yeah, devalue tank. Like, 
make it less likely that you can get the first pick. The first, if you look at the value of picks uh, over the draft, the first three picks are up here, next two picks are here, and every other pick is down here. So if you can just, the more that every team tanks, and they're all trying to get those top three picks, the more it devalues that as a, as a, as a strategy. And so, hopefully there's some like, you can't have 10 tanking teams, you're not all gonna get the first pick. Right, and then we're also going to do the lottery. So even if you're one, the worst team, you might not get the first pick. That's I think that's all we can do. Is is just make it a worse strategy. I, I feel like sort of at the heart of the question was like, how do we how do we get more games that mean something? How do we get more games that have stakes? Right, and and I felt like watching the WBC. One of the most interesting things about the WBC is it it felt like the games had stakes. Right, and like certainly more stakes than like a regular season game between the Guardians and like the Twins in you know in J July or August or whatever so I do wonder if instead of like thinking about a like relegation is that an option like what about more like in-season tournaments that are like you know like um, like a baseball version of the US Open Cup like in MLS or the what were they called the FA Cup um, in, in England like are there options like that uh, to where you model off some other sports, what they've done. I mean, I know they've talked about like the NBA having an in-season tournament, and it feels like baseball could be ripe for something like that. You like get more teams that. And it means more money. The owners are into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like sell some playoff tickets in July. Yeah. And, the, and you know, just to your point about attacking it that way with uh, the draft, the other way that the union tried to attack it was revenue sharing, because if if you kind of diminish the amount that goes through central revenues, then a team can't really sit there and be like, I'm good. You actually have to put a good product on the field. Yeah, the mixed revenue. If I've got 80 million coming in, what do I, I don't need to do anything. Right. And and interestingly, right now, the league want, is kind of pushing itself to try to nationalize the revenues more, which we'll see. Just to, like, speaking of revenue, where do you guys kind of see the whole, like, competitive balance problem of MLB going in the sense that do you see them eventually like one day shifting to a more like centralized revenue system kind of like the NFL or is it kind of always going to be more regional local you were just sort of touching on that at the end there the smaller market owners would love um, to have it be more shared they, they, they it, and the, lar and the larger market teams wanted to remain local. Now, the, What's the, the sense the, of power balance between those? Are there blocks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very hard to, to consistently identify, but there's some, like, there's some figures who you always know are going to be on one side or the other. Artie Moreno, Castellini, um, I'm forgetting a couple Artie names. Moreno acts like a what? Artie does not like spending. Yeah. I mean, he spends on, on his roster, but the, the entirety of the rest of the organization yeah. has got a kind of a, a cheaper approach. Um, I had another point to make. It's going to come back to me in three seconds. Economics. They're always going to be the, the, the more oh, the, the, the spending teams. The interesting teams thing the here with the RSNs, so if you get to a place, like the, the whole television model so far has been built on this idea that if you are a paying television customer, whether you care about baseball or not, you are paying into that system. If you take that away, and that's kind of happening right now, well, then don't you have to make your product good for people to subscribe to the TV? So the, the, the TV element 
A, obviously there's a huge impact on economics overall, but the, the trickle-down effect that it could have on competitiveness, it, it, there's at least the potential for it. That, that if you're not guaranteed that money, and the only way you're going to get it is through subscribers, you got to have a good team. Yeah, right. So, like, the Rangers actually make a little sense this way. Because the Rangers lost their Valleys network, right? And they're out of they're out of Valleys. So the Rangers are going to have to sell their TV to their customers directly. And if, if they want to do that, they better have a good team. And, they, and they've been spending like they want to have a good team. Here's, here's my question for Evan. How many owners have to agree to something for it to happen? Like... You're never going to get the Yankees and the Dodgers to Padres to agree to that, but like, could everyone else overrule them, or do they need consensus? Do you want to talk loss? about this? So, yes. The, I, I think that. So, I, I literally yesterday asked Rob Manfred this question in a stairwell um, for a story I have not published yet, and I kind of had to beg him to allow me to walk with him in the stairwell, but 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 he did. Did he try um, to shove you down the stairs? No, he did not. He was gracious. He, he, he had, so what, what the league would like to do is make it so that you can uh, buy a game a la carte whenever you want. You want to watch a Yankees game tonight, you can subscribe. You do that all through MLB. The problem with that is that these bigger market teams like the Yankees, you, know, you guys know who the bigger teams are. Um, they're not going to want to just give their digital in-market streaming rights you know, without the blackout rights to the league. Like, it's going to be very expensive. And so the question becomes, could MLB force the 30 teams, like, no, you're doing this. You are putting in your rights. Um, and I, that was the question I asked Rob yesterday, was if you get to a point where everybody controls their rights, can you compel this? And he said he didn't want to give the legal answer. He thinks that the solution would have to be consensual, or would likely be consensual, meaning he's not going to do it without all the 30 teams, but he's not going to give a legal answer, and the thing I wanted to ask him after that, but didn't, was, if I can't get a legal answer out of you, top lawyer at Major League Baseball, who can I get a legal answer out of? Evan, Evan, can I ask you, like, a dumb question? Um, let's say that you took the Yankees and the Dodgers, we'll, we'll say Yankees, Dodgers, and Mets, you exempted them from like this group. You had the 27 other teams pull together their television rights. Would it help the other 27? Would there would there be like power in the 27? There were it would it would be pulling up the Pirates and the Reds and and those teams enough. Even if you if you take the Yankees and the Mets and like the biggest brands out of it, could you still get to a point where that would benefit those other teams? Sure. I mean, we we might see this this depending on what happens with with the Diamond Sinclair bankruptcy. Like, let's say we get to a point where MLB is actually broadcasting these games. I mean, you can have a package of whatever, eight, seven teams that MLB is, is broadcasting, and you can buy it, but it's going to be a lot more appealing if you have the bigger uh, market teams, right? Like, and I think that's the bigger market position. It's like, nobody's going to buy your package of the Reds and whatever other team. Um, so this, like, this is a five-year, six, seven-year drama, that's going to unfold, but it's going to be very, I find it interesting. I don't know if anybody else does. So this kind of goes back to the WBC a little bit. Obviously, the U.S. had a, a great lineup this year, and they had pitchers who existed. Um, do you see a future where, like, the U.S. or other teams can bring pitchers in and have, like, the best from their country, or... 
Do you think that MLB teams, just with the care that they take for their arms these days, are not really going to let that happen? And, like, would it be something where, like, Olympic soccer, where you've got, like, very old and very young players involved, or do you think there is a path toward having, like, the best of the best actually playing in WBC on the pitching side? Well, I mean, I think that's what you had with uh, Mike Trout and uh, everybody else in their press conferences being like, please play for us. It is fun. Please, please come play for us. I think he was talking talking to Garrett Cole. Interestingly, interestingly, I was standing next to Garrett Cole during a WBC game. Um, and uh, he... I'm... He didn't say this, but I'm reading his body language, and he really wanted to be there. Um, he was talking about players in the game that were they were playing. He was he was really engaged in it. He was watching the game very closely, um, and it seemed like he cared. And it's almost like my trial was speaking to Garrett Cole. So, I, but I, I know that. There's so many stakeholders in a big contract like that. There's the Yankees, there's his agent, there's the player himself. I do think that the player has some agency and is gonna be able to be like, hey, I wanna be there. How can we make it big? Like, how can I work with you, the Yankees, to allow me to be there? Can I, Garrett Cole, go there and pitch 30, 30 pitches? Can you let me pitch 30 pitches? Then I'll go, you know? Um, there is some question of like, is there a better time for the WBC where we would be, everyone's, but I don't think there is. I don't think there is. There's a, there is an idea of like, we, could we replace the All-Star game with a WBC tournament? Would the, but, but think about this. Think about losing Edwin Diaz. Sorry, sorry. Uh, think about losing your star closer. Think about losing your star closer at the All-Star break. You know? Um, so I think it's, the March is the, the time for it. The players are advocating for it. I think the players themselves, next time around, will advocate for themselves and be like, I want to be there, I want to play. And I think we'll see slightly better, I don't know if we'll see Derek Cole, but I think we'll see slightly better starting pitching for the, for the uh, USA squad next time. I, I think so too, just because a lot of, you know, a lot of very wealthy interests want that. Like, MLB wants that, right? It's good for the sport, like I think, I think they'll find a way to make that happen, whether it's incentives for teams or guarantees about how things will be used. But I think, and like you said, the you know the World Baseball Classic involves the play, the, the player association and the own and the you know the owners. So I, th I think I think that enough people want it to happen that they'll find a way to make it happen uh, next time around. Maybe not everybody, but more more people. My, when, when this got. So I think it was like a Buster-only tweet that kind of set off this discussion. Who, who was asking about the, uh, yeah, um, like the idea of like just dropping in for a game, right? Like if you want to play on a day. I love the idea like that you can have a softball ringer. But my, my first instinct when I saw that was like, how is that fair to any of the other countries except for like two or three, right? Like, yeah, but, but you know. Do they care about that? <laughs> that? But that was my first thought. It's like, if I'm... As long as I'm throwing out ideas that'll probably never happen, like, why not just, like, make the season 154 games every WBC year, right? Like, a WBC season. Just make it 154 as, games. As Evan would say, the answer is money. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, but if, yeah, or even maybe slightly shorter, but, like, if the question is workload for pitchers, like, okay, they make one start in the WBC where they, you know, go five or six innings, but they make one less in the regular season, I don't know. Anyway. 
think that only works if baseball pays them the equivalent of you know all those games in like concession money or something. But the, the, the owners and the union are making money off it. They own the WBC together, so there there is money for them there, and I think there's the incentive. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Anyone else have a question? Hi, this time my name is Ellen Adair. You can look me up on IMDb. I have a, there's a lot of credits on my page. Say you're stuck on a desert island and you can have three MLB players with you. What are those three players? I, so, I'm answering this question solely, almost on vibes. Uh, you had a lot of, you had a lot of vibes-based current questions. Current? Current players or all-time players? Current. I, I think I think it would be really, really hilarious uh, if I had Zach Greinke, Joey Votto, and Max Scherzer. Um, we would have very impassioned arguments. Uh, there might be a fist fight. I think there might be a fist fight at some point. Um, uh, but it would be, it would be amazing, and we might write a, a bestseller on the way out. I, I need more time to think. Uh, Rob Manfred, uh, Bruce Meyer, and uh, Randy Levine. Very on brand. As your editor, I have to urge you to not threaten to eat Rob Manfred during this event that's being recorded. Don't ask him. Don't ask him a Mary Kill. This isn't a Mary Kill situation. I mean, I definitely want Votto. I think you, you go purely on entertainment, right? Like, you know, nothing else matters. Um, I think there's nothing good at baseball or not for this person. This. So, yeah, you want Votto. I don't think I want Granky. Uh,. I'm trying to think of like who's a good quote. I mean, can I take a manager? 
Like, I mean, like, Bill Showalter, I feel like, would be entertaining. Who can cook? Like, who, like who's oh, yeah. got, like, oh, life skills? Uh, oh, oh, Mark Hanna. Oh, yeah, Mark Hanna. Yeah, yeah. For the food, yeah. He would, like, saute some, like, scallops. No, no, no. He said he said it, in the past it would be the more complicated way of saying it that I would butcher. But he's fine with Canada. I, I just have one question in 27 parts. Uh, uh, Eno, uh, you've been blessed to work with a lot of great podcast co-hosts. Who is your favorite podcast co-host of all time? Brit. Derek Van Ryver. No, no, I love them all. I love them all. So John Means threw a no-hitter on May 5th of 2019, 2021. The Sticky Force band came afterwards. He was the most dominant pitcher for a window of time. Do you think that was related to it? Or do you think he's actually a good pitcher? I would like to say that uh, before I broke the Ziggy stuff story, a major league pitcher told me, don't do it. My friends told me not to. Many people told me not to. And uh, looking back, they were all right. Uh, I should not have broken the story. They, all, they were all extremely correct. The major league pitcher said, Rob Manfred is just going to screw this up. And he's just gonna do some ham-fisted enforcement. And he didn't say in the middle of the season, but he might as well have. Um, and uh, my friend said it's just gonna be a bell. It's gonna be a stomach ache, uh, and it has been. And the the thing that the line I've tried to walk with it is like I'm trying not to call people out uh, specifically because I thought of it as a systemic problem, and I didn't really want to scapegoat. One quick one, uh, if each of you could just give one player that you think that at this point next year we might know more about than we do right now, either because of how they do on the field, because of any interview you've had with them off the field, someone who's not in the pros yet, anybody, just somebody who you think at this point next year this room would know a hell of a lot more than they do right now. Whatever Eno says is what I also want to say. Uh, but no, Anthony Volpe, like, I know he's been in the news a lot, but he's going to be in the news a lot more because he's from North Jersey and he's playing for the Yankees. So you're gonna know everything about what he had for breakfast when he was in second grade and everything else. My only answers are the two players I picked over text in my farm draft today. So <laughs> I, I don't think that's very valuable. I think uh, if a guy who's like 6'9 uh, and throws 100 miles an hour makes the major leagues uh, I think we'll all know his name pretty soon. So I think Yuri Perez is somebody that might turn heads. Oh my guy. Just, just you know, just someone that sort of freakish looking. Why did you get such a double A? Why not triple A? Uh, I don't know. I think he might actually face some better batters in double A. I don't know. The difficult part of that question is that it's such a mind over aspect like we're like oh who's the next prospect like we have we have keith and we have you know we're we, we really we really dig into that like how many how many bold predictions have i made how many how many predictions articles have i written you know i almost want to reach down into like high a or the like jackson churio but like you know who that is already you know <laughs> like, like I, I almost have to oh i got one 
Felix Saris. Watch out. Watch out. He's got a uh, he's got a uh, something like a 670 OBP. Little League. Little League, baby. Watch this face. His batting average is only about a, a hundred. He doesn't swing that often. He has me as a dad. I told him, don't swing. You know, um, so, you know, so did you see this story about how so Shohei Otani is going to make like $70 million this year, right? He's like the highest paid player in baseball with endorsements. It, it made me think, like, is Roki Sasaki really not going to come over here for, you know, like another four or five years? Like, I kind of feel like maybe he actually does the Otani route where he says, I'm not going to make much money the first few years. I'll come over, but I'll come over younger and actually... So he's like, I don't know if he'll be over here next year, but like, I think he could be over here much sooner than people think. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a, a really interesting, Japan is a, a really interesting place. Um, like, I think in America, if there was like the same situation, they'd just be like, I don't care what you want. You're ours for six years and you, we're gonna do what you want. But there's a little bit of like uh, a culture there where like if the player just makes it known in the media that he wants to play in America and just keeps talking about it and keeps talking about it that eventually their team will be like, all right, shut up, we'll post you, you know? So I, I kind of think it won't go. And then there's also, even in terms of revenue, there's a relationship between like, if they wait till the last second, how much can they make? And, you know, so I think, I bet you, I bet you uh, he's not, it's not four years. But it, it's a it's a it's a gentleman's agreement that has weird sort of backroom dealings. I don't know. Like, why did Otani come over early? His team didn't make any money off that. You know, it wasn't it wasn't in their best interest to do it. I, I think it's like they maybe want to sign the next Otani, and so they're like, hey, look, we were friendly to Otani, so sign with us. Right, so like if we keep Roki, then what next young high school pitcher wants to sign with us? So there's a little bit of like, we want to be a pipeline for talent. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Nippon, him. They when they signed Otani out of out of uh, high school, essentially. I mean, they told him the whole time, we'll we'll protect you, we'll get you ready for the major leagues. I mean, that was like part of the whole, right. whole path for him. But there's also also the danger that Japanese players go straight into the draft. Uh, and avoid the old Japanese system. So if they're, I think if they're too strong on that and they say, oh, Roki, okay, you've got to stay with us for four years, the next guy who throws 100 come out of high school just doesn't go into the Japanese draft. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, other half. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, James. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Thank you very much.